Hello, everyone. I have a returning guest for you. Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, show 41. And I have Ashley Mayu, freelance horse racing analyst and a recent addition to the first racing team in Florida, running you through everything that has caught our eyes and ears this week. A lady that is well known throughout the industry for her inside expertise, and she's a wonderful and kind person to boot. Also known as the tip sheet gal at Fort Erie. You will be able to catch her on air this Saturday at Gulfstream Park for the 14 strong Fountain of Youth race card as well. So don't miss out on that one. Ashley, it's so good to have you back on Talk Racing to Me with Naomi once again. But this time it's going to be slightly bit different because this time we're not going to dive into as much your sort of horse racing background, which we did last time, which was super insightful and I really enjoyed. But I want your thoughts on a couple of races coming up. We have a Kentucky Derby preps lined up this week and Fountain of Youth Southwest Stakes. I want to review uh, some of the Saudi Cup festival races, uh, especially the Saudi Cup itself. Big upset with Mishrif. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And of course, uh, we had some other stuff going on in Kentucky whereby the historical horse racing legislature was passed, but now we do have another court case going on. Well, not another, but obviously uh, the industry dealing with something different completely. And wanted to touch upon where the USA stands when it comes to reopening of outdoor venues in terms of when we can expect the public to attend the big race meetings again, because we had big news coming from the United Kingdom uh, that they have a three-step sort of plan of coming out of lockdown, which might indicate that some of their bigger racing carnivals will have fans in attendance this year or might be able to so of course super interesting to see how does that apply over here but let's kick things off uh, with the fountain of use but before all of that how are you doing tonight i am good i'm looking forward to actually being at Gulfstream on saturday for the fountain of youth actually never been there for this race and just kind of looking forward to the kentucky derby trail and the triple crown trail itself so it'll be exciting to see this race be run Yeah, I was going to mention you will be on air giving out your uh, expert knowledge when it comes to uh, the races on Saturday. Large card, 14 races, and the Fountain of Youth is race 14. Mound 16 for three-year-olds, 50 Kentucky Derby points on the line for the victor. And this is a race that sees the Holy Bull Victor greatest honor come back. He'll be most likely, uh, well, he is the morning line favorite, so we'll... We dare say there's going to be a fair bit of money coming in for him. Where do you go? Are you going to try and go with the favorite? And we kind of briefly discussed this race beforehand. You were saying this is an intriguing race. Yeah, I thought out of the two, I mean, the Southwest having a little bit more of a compact field than the Fountain of Youth. Um, it's just another reason I'm a little bit more excited about this race. But both of them should be good. I think looking specifically at the Fountain of Youth, greatest honor tough to ignore off the Holy Bull win. It wasn't, um, you know, this race where he just won by nose or anything like that. I mean, he was just much the best. And when he made his late move, he kind of just swept past everyone else and was pretty impressive. Um, I think looking at some of the others, I I still think horses such as Brian Factor are going to take respect. Um, He was the post-time favorite in the Holy Bull and he just kind of tired, but it was his first time coming from that debut at six furlong, stretching out to a mile in the 16th. So you can maybe give him uh, a little bit of an excuse. You still would have hoped to see more, especially if you're looking at some of his numbers. He actually kind of dropped significantly. Um, I usually go off fire numbers. He went from an 85 to a 73, which is not ideal. But now he's just making the third start of his career. And then you have the horse on the rail, drain the clock, who I think is intriguing, coming off an easy win in the swale. But it's going to be the the test for him is going to be this distance going two turns He's coming out of a seven furlong event. And that's been the furthest he's gone so far. So uh, interesting horse. He's four for five in his career. And every time he's crossed the wire with his rider in the irons, he's he's been a winner. So, um, you know, he also draws the rail, which is intriguing, knowing that he has a ton of early foot. So I think there are a couple directions you can go in. I think a big thing in this race, obviously, is going to come down to pace and you have to think someone's going to probably have to go with you know the horses towards the inside 
Yeah, it seems that Drain the Clock as well as Prime Factor are going to have a fair bit of speed and move forward into that first turn. You've been out at Gulfstream Park for a little while now, little while now, excuse me, in your new role uh, for first bet. Do you think being on the rail works well in this instance for this uh, two-turn event? I think for, I mean, in his case, just having that natural speed, I think it's, you know, certainly beneficial for him. I think other horses would probably... Uh, fear the rail more than uh, the Joseph probably did when he saw the way this turned out. Um, looking at the track today, there's a little bit more moisture in it, but uh, thinking, you know, ahead of the week, it is Florida. You never know when it is going to rain, but it looks like we're going to have a good forecast. I'm going to expect a fast track as of now. Um, and I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, you know, level playing surface as much as it can be, but it's always something to consider when you do have such a fast horse drying the rail, but he now has to kind of, you know, stretch himself out in distance, which is just another thing to kind of uh, look into. Talking about track condition, uh, there's a horse, an intriguing one in here, the number four fire at will, who did win on the main track going seven furlongs, was on a track with moisture in it at Saratoga, and then has run so steadily on the turf, British Juvenile Turf Victor, now making his three-year-old debut on the main track. Uh, How do you judge a horse like him coming into this? I mean, look at his last three. I mean, he's done nothing wrong. I think you kind of hit upon that race, Naomi, at Saratoga, getting that off track going seven ace. Um, It was a short field. And when you see those kind of compact fields, I think they become kind of a strategic race, even more so for the riders um, because you have, you know, less jocks out there to worry about. And you kind of really have to be mindful of what you're going to do. And for a horse to get on the the slot for the first time, that's one thing. And that can be overwhelming. And you had a horse that, was a compact field, but was trailing throughout and was able to get the job done. So I, you know, you might look at the number and say, not really impressive, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good performance from him. You look at the fractions. I mean, they went 22 and three, 45 and three and a half, but uh, I think it's exciting to now see him get on a fast uh, main track and looking at his workouts. I mean, he seems to be working well over the dirt. So I really don't have any reservations and then just kind of adding into it how well Mike Maker does with horses transitioning from the turf to the dirt. There's a lot to like about him, and you have to think he's probably going to offer more value than the others that we talked about. Yeah, I was I was wondering, are we going to go with signing with the favorite in this spot, or are we looking for a price play? As you mentioned, it's hard to disregard greatest honor, especially as it seems that once Sugar McGee gets them going, they really start like rolling, and it seems that greatest honor came into himself with that grade three holy bull win after having uh, taken four starts to break his mate and still ran well and as you mentioned sort of kept increasing in the buyer figures as well yeah I I do think he's probably going to be my top pick I mean for me I'm always looking for value and, and hate to just throw out a favorite so um you know, if I were playing probably maybe a late pick four, this isn't a race I would single. I'd try to look for some prices. And now just talking with you about fire at will, he's a horse that maybe I'd toss in there because I don't think he's going to have the same respect as um, prime factor and especially as uh, greatest honor. See, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by the, the morning lines here because drain the clock prime factor five to one, whereas fire is at will seven to two, if I noted that down correctly. I do believe that's correct. Let me double check. Yeah, seven to two. So it seems projected that he might go shorter than those other two sort of more established dirt runners which makes me kind of think all right are we looking at the board just before the race goes to try and sort of suss out what to do uh depending on what wagers you're betting i think that's probably the right move i think the the morning line here uh, fire at will the main thing he has is that breeders cup juvenile turf win under his belt which which gets him some some respect obviously he wasn't respected on that occasion but just seeing that and seeing his last three races he is hard to ignore but um just kind of looking at these horses in their uh their other performances and how well they took money like we said prime factor favored last time out i do think you're gonna see a change in the odds um to me you know if i saw a fire at will at maybe you know five to one six to one he'd be intriguing where if i'm seeing a horse two to one um you know not something I'm necessarily looking for. But for me in the pick four, you got to make that decision early, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll study it a little bit more and make decisions from there. But I think Fire at Will, I think we might get a better price than 7 or 2. 
I definitely agree with you that if you're looking at those exotic bets, you might want to throw in a couple of horses here just to see if anyone is going to um, upset the favorite. And then you can land a little bit of a price when it comes to that sequence. And I like Fire at Will just because of the intriguing factor as well as Drain the Clock and maybe Prime Factor, as you mentioned as well, coming in for that second time going long, which is an angle I very much enjoy as well. But of course, all eyes are going to be on the number eight greatest honor in the Fountain of Youth coming up. Uh, we can move on to the other Kentucky Derby prep this week. And of course, they were supposed to run uh, two weeks ago. Had some uh, severe weather prohibiting that from happening. We unfortunately experienced it at Laurel Park as well. But we were very fortunate still being able to run the our uh, Barbara Fritchie and General George last Saturday. But uh, Oakland, this is going to be their big weekend as well. Uh, mile and 16, lesser points on the line, but nonetheless a race to look forward to because we are going to be able to see the number one essential quality make his uh, three-year-old debut. He was a horse, I think, leading up to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile that I really liked uh, and was kind of excited to see what he'd do on that even bigger stage after the other win at Keeneland. And uh, pretty nice performance. He was shuffled way further back than he was on that race on October 3rd. And like you said, Naomi, we haven't seen him in a while. Um, he's another one that seems to be training well, and you see his connections, Brad Cox. Those long layoffs don't really concern me, I think. When you look at this field, seeing that you have the seven horses in it, it's essential quality to me and Jackie's warrior who is also coming off that long layoff exiting the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with a performance that was less than uh, ideal, I guess, and um, didn't turn out the way a lot of people thought it would. Yeah, that was a very intriguing, like, interesting race. I keep repeating myself with that word there because I watched back the Breeders' Cup Juvenile about three times and you could see that everyone being close to that quite devastating pace tired late and Jackie's warrior went back in the, that last half furlong but do you think there might be a case to be made for him being the main speed in this event and maybe being sort of spaced out a little bit better and hence running on stronger late of course also second time going this distance yeah I definitely think there's a strong case there um just looking at you know the other wins from him every other start he won once he can kind of get out there and shake clear a bit, it's been pretty easy. I mean, he's been able to kind of pour it on late. And you mentioned the track at Keeneland. I mean, we saw some wicked fractions uh, over the two days there at Keeneland. So maybe there was a little bit of an excuse. Um, I know I was thinking that these were the two in that race, and uh, now they're going to match up again, which I do think will be a good uh, rematch for these two, just knowing that essential quality – you know, benefited from that hot pace last time out, but two starts prior, he just kind of tracked right off the pace and made that move to the front quite early on and was able to draw clear. So um, it'll be interesting to see what some of these other horses do at the longer odds, um, that they're definitely not as fast as Jackie's Warrior. I mean, you look at the fractions on paper, Jackie's Warrior just kind of towers over the field in that sense. But um, you never know what some of these other connections might do here, um, just trying to you know, get a part of that, that big purse money. Are we looking at the horse on the outside, the number seven Spielberg coming in for Bob Baffert, a Los Alamitos Futurity winner last year? Yeah, you kind of look at those races. I mean, Spielberg's not making the lead, but is pretty much attending the pace in a lot of those races. And you see a couple of them with some with some stronger halves than, you know, other runners have seen in this field. So I have to think he's going to be pretty close to the pace. I just don't think he can necessarily make the lead. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Jackie's Warrior has such an abundance of early talent that when the gates open, he's, if he gets away cleanly, which he tends to do, uh, he'll go to the lead. Do you think that essential quality being drawn on the inside means they might place him more forwardly like two starts back, sort of like forcing their hand a little bit? Yeah, I, I would think so. Um like I said, he's the horse that, you know, we kind of look at his performances on debut. He closed for mid-pack. Then they had him closer attending the pace uh, at Keeneland in that second start and totally changed it. But that's what I like about him as well. I, I think trip-wise, he can kind of run from wherever he's placed. Um, he has had quick fractions really help him in two of those three races. But I think he's a little bit... Uh, what I would call it, I guess, a handy horse. I think there's a lot you can do with him. And, you know, he's got a ton of potential, I think. A very flexible running style, which characterizes 
really high class racehorses and hence they can find and create their own trips and it seems like he is able to do so so be great to see him back once again if you have to give out your fancies in this spot who would it be I'm going to go with essential quality. Um, Jackie's warrior, nothing against this colt. I really liked him last year. And like I said, I thought these were kind of the two horses to use in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. But um, I think like you were saying, just kind of having that um, that ability to kind of see how the trip kind of plays out and, and still make your move is something I always like to see in a race horse. And, and, you know, he's had a couple less starts than Jackie's warrior. And, and as you mentioned, you know, as long as Jackie's warrior gets a clean break, everything could go his way, but um, you never know. So for me, I'm excited to see essential quality. Yeah, same here. It's it's always, in, it's always hard to try and talk up a horse saying, okay, they might be the lone speed and, ha- and of course that will benefit them. But if you have a horse like Essential Quality who can sit handily and very comfortably would rate behind a horse making that lead, then you might see him sort of tip out late and then come uh, rolling past them in a deep stretch. So can't wait to see the Southwest Stakes as well as the Fountain of Youth on Saturday. I'll be working myself at Laurel, but I definitely will be uh, tuning in and try to make sure it's a sort of in-between races not being on air because otherwise I'll be looking with the, you know one eye to the side, one <laughs> eye to the camera. I have tried to do it before with the Saudi Cup, which uh, brings me to our next uh, point of call. Big race last week, or well, big carnival of races, but of course there was one race that everyone was looking at one race that everyone wanted to see. And that was the Saudi cup over a mile and an eighth where we did see a battle between Charlatan and Nick's go develop as expected. We all thought these two pace runners were going to try and go to the front, but instead of them finishing one, two in any particular order, we saw a European contender, uh, come up and snatch the top honors with a very young uh, 21-year-old David Egan in the saddle. Uh, where were you watching it from, Ashley, and what did you make of it? Unfortunately, I was working too, Naomi, um, and I didn't have the access to it. So I honestly, I had to watch it on tape delay. Um, don't want to admit that, but I, I caught it about probably 10 minutes after the race actually was run. Um, that's the great thing about, I guess, social media and things like that nowadays. You can get all your news really quick. You get your replays. So I turned to Twitter found myself a link and, and watched it about 10 minutes uh, later. And, you know, you have to feel for the connections uh, of the United States, obviously high expectations, but there's, you know, no disappointment in running second in such a prestigious race with a big purse attached to it. But I love seeing the 21 year old rider win. I think these are like very special moments for anyone, but to see one of the younger jocks get that opportunity, uh, that really stood out to me. And David Egan had actually ridden out at Laurel Park for Jose Corrales, uh, I do believe, a while ago. Uh, Sol Sinatra uh, told me that, which I thought was super intriguing. It's such an international industry. And then David Egan, I actually had heard about mm-hmm. him um, a couple of years ago when I was back in England, how he was sort of go- going up through the ranks. And now to see him on the big stage, and of course, the legend that is John Gosling. That doesn't surprise me at all, that John Gosling comes over with a horse in prime condition that is going to be more of a turf horse and then comes up and and snatches the prize there late. But there was a quote from Bob Baffert about how Charlton probably ran one of the best races of his career, having taken so much pressure up front. How good do you still think he is, even despite that you see a, a Euro horse, which I guess maybe that's a sore point here, a European bred and a coined European turf horse to come in and beat some of the best dirt horses at present in the USA. It's kind of wild. I mean, to see a horse at this level, like you mentioned, having a huge turf wins and now dirt, um, that's, that's hard for racehorses to do, um, especially at this, this level. If I'm not mistaken, Naomi, uh, was it last year on this day that he ran second in the Saudi Derby, the same horse, correct? I do believe so. Let me double check that once again as well on the same. Yep. Yep. That was correct. That was him as well on on the dirt dirt, and then he went back on the turf afterwards. uh, One at the Prix de Jockey Club, the Group 1 Prix de Jockey Club as well afterwards. It's, It's insane how this horse goes from turf to dirt and does so well in between. It's, it's something that we don't see as often. 
No, you definitely don't, especially at this sort of level. And, you know, kind of looking at uh, Bob Baffert's horse, Charlatan, um, a huge race from him. I mean, it was really the last 100 yards or 100 meters, relatively close on that uh, distance-wise. But that's kind of what did him in. And, you know, uh, I think it was a really game performance. We mentioned everyone kind of thought it was going to be a two-horse race between him and, and Nick Sko. And Nick Sko, uh, just fourth best. I know I think fifth was Sleepy Eyes Todd. So, uh, Charlatan, you know, very respected in defeat running second there, but, um, the winner, very, very intriguing horse. And I have to add this in because for everyone that knows me, and, and of course there's always been so much discussion, Tacitus did not pick up a check. Oh, he did actually in seventh, but not by our standards of, of placing what, you know, second or third, like he normally does. Yeah. Um, he was a horse I had my questions about, and now I think they're going to regroup um, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up going to Dubai now. I think Max Player, I believe, is the horse that finished, I guess, um, the least desirable out of the U.S. runners. But uh, huge to see all these uh, American horses go over there. It's, you know, it's exciting for so many people when I was scrolling through Twitter, just seeing people's tweets and rooting them on. And um, obviously with you in Maryland, you know, there's a lot of uh, cool background uh, stories behind Nick's go and who's really been thriving um, the past year or so. So we'll see what these horses do from here. Um, Dubai's coming up, uh, another huge prestigious race that I think we're going to see some of these runners um, try it out again. Well, I do think that Charles and Nick's go are going back to the U.S. I'm wondering what they're going to do with some of the other U.S. runners. Uh, thinking about the Dubai World Cup coming up, I do think Hayes' team might be pointed there, uh, as well as our maybe Maxfield. I mean, I'm absolutely hoping that's going to be the case. That would absolutely be wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, I highlighted Tastis because he, he was a horse that's always guard, guarded so much sort of love or hate, kind of like the Marmite question. You either love Tacitus or you hate him, but there's no dispute that this is a horse that has continued to run run in the money most of his starts being a wonderful earner for his connections and this is something that i see a lot on the maryland circuit as well that you have these horses that might not win all the time but if you have something to celebrate uh, every single time your horse run i still think that's a, a wonderful thing as well that we should highlight even though task this for me has been one of those horses that you're on him or you're off him and then at the wrong moment you're off him and then you know, you know the story <laughs> you know how it goes right. with a lot of people here but bill mott has done a, a wonderful training job with Tacitus, who you know he's vocal he you know can be quite quite a presence on on the racetrack Right. And he is one, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the article that I read about, you know, you mentioned uh, Charlatan and Nick Sko, uh, they're going to come back to the U.S. But I believe um, it's Tacitus is one of them that's kind of eyeing up the Dubai World Cup as well as Sleepy Eyes Todd. And uh, very different horses, like you mentioned, if you look at Tacitus, kind of picking up those minor checks, but still respected. And you mentioned... um, Asus's team, a, a very similar horse who, um, you know, looking at his last couple races, I mean, he was second in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile behind Nick Sko, then he was second in the Pegasus World Cup. He's such a hard trying horse. And, um, you know, we saw him finish third in the Preakness. Uh, I would still love to own a horse like that. Now, he may just pick up those minor checks, but uh, not really minor checks when you finish second in the Pegasus World Cup. I mean, that's like winning a, a huge race as well. So it'll be interesting to see who actually goes over there. And some of these horses that maybe um, haven't necessarily gotten their, their photo in the winner's circle on the big stage, they might be able to. Um, you know, we talked about Tacitus, Sleepy Eyes Todd. I think he's a cool horse who's just kind of traveled everywhere. It's It's hard not to like horses like that. I have to agree. Just horses that keep running their heart out and maybe they're not you know the ultra talented the elite of the elite group one horses but these are a group or grade one horses. these are solid uh elite level performance that take their connections across the world as you mentioned hayes is team uh, i hope he runs very well and it's been such a wonderful story with jose francisco d'angelo you know training him and everything behind the connections and now taking taking them to yet another uh, taking them to another country but let's uh, continue talking about the Saudi Cup because another big story was the fact that Holly Doyle became the first female jockey to win a race on Saudi Cup day we did see Lisa Alpress 
uh, being the first female jockey to win in Saudi Arabia, which was uh, February 28th, the opening leg of the International Jockeys Challenge. But Holly Dole gave the William Mullins train true self quite a, a picture of a ride in the Neom Turf Cup. Did you watch that one? I did. I thought it was a great late move. Um, obviously, you know, living here in the U.S. was rooting for Channel Maker, who was second in the performance. Um, but, you know, to see Holly Doyle, it really the past year is where, you, you know, you heard her heard about her before, but it's the, the past year that she's had has just been so impressive. Um, like the list of her achievements. I know we were talking this a, a little while ago. I mean, she's had a five win day. Um she had a victory with grade one success on British Championships Day. Uh, I know she had success in the International Jockeys uh, Championship at Hong Kong. I mean, I feel like she's done it all. And then to see her really get this opportunity to ride this horse and to get a win, um, I had to be special for her. But I think it's just a, a huge thing um, as a female, just, you know, to see these riders get to shine, these female riders, and to see her do it over there, um, really, really special. I agree with you there. I feel like she's become such a wonderful role model for female jockeys not only in Europe but across the globe with the way that she's you know her hard work her her talent her attitude you know the fact that she was third in the BBC sports personality of the year contest as well she's really elevating the profile of horse racing I feel in such a wonderful way but there was also, I guess, in a way, there was some commotion when she, as a female riding out, riding in Saudi Arabia, uh, there was a younger sister of a leading Saudi women's rights activist who wrote to Holly Doyle to boycott the Saudi Cup. And I do believe she quoted her saying, the Saudi regime has had a long record of using sporting events to launder its reputation. That's not your fault, but through their cynicism, they have made it your problem, which are, you know, it's very harsh words. And, and quite something to put on a female jockey that is giving such a wonderful opportunity to ride abroad and to make history and to actually, you know, showcase that in a sport where female and men are competing on an equal level, she's right up there with them. And it's in a way, you know, mixed mixed sort of emotions with most people when they heard that, I do believe, because in a way... You know, I just think it's such a wonderful opportunity for her. And on the flip side, I'm thinking, well, why are we saying that it's just her that needs to perhaps think about that? Aren't we all thinking about that? I agree. I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot there in those those quotes from the activist. And I come from the standpoint a little bit of, I, I think it's awesome that Holly rode and showed, hey, I can do this. And you touched upon it. I mean, you look at sports and you, you turn on ESPN or you turn on TSN, wherever you are. I mean... How many sports do you see uh, females and males compete against each other um, or, you know, with each other in the sense that they're in the starting gate together? You don't see that really in sports. And, you know, Holly going against her male counterparts and, and getting such a big win in a prestigious event, uh, I, I think, is is really a big thing. And you had mentioned about um, her being a role model. And I was just scrolling on my phone right now because I remember when I was going through, um, you know, kind of watching the stuff, Saudi Cup coverage using Twitter, someone had tweeted, her name's Katie Kay. She said, it's so important to see Holly Doyle riding in the Saudi Cup. She is such an inspiration to me and I'm sure any other young girl who wants to be in racing. And that's what I think it's all about. And I think Holly Doyle is an incredible role model for anyone uh, from young girls to just women in general or, or people kind of to, um, you know, just achieve as much as they can. Um, she's, I think she's 24, if I'm not mistaken, to see what she's done. Uh, throughout her career so far and as I mentioned the last year um, there's a lot to a lot to look up to yeah I I agree I, I I'm so much looking forward to everything else that she's gonna bring to us in terms of her achievements and riding across the globe and furthering the profile of horse racing and the uh, egalitarian part of it when it comes to female and male jockeys riding together and in a way when it comes to you know the the, the idea behind Saudi Arabia, perhaps certain laws that still had to do with gender equality. A sporting event like this does allow a country like that to look inward as well, because, you know, the entire world is watching and to possibly make changes that continue to move it forward because of an event like this. So it is a, a tricky 
situation, of course, and, and, you know, both of us know this as females within the sport and, and as everyone has sort of, you know, put a spotlight on that. But I do believe that when you're looking at these major sporting events and a wonderful card that was put on by their racing office, I think the main takeaway is that one, it's amazing that a female jockey has done what she has done. And two, if this sporting event brings on positive change, then I'm all for it. I agree. I think you mentioned, you know, watching people are going to be watching. I think the other thing that stirs up is just conversation, right? Gets people talking. And uh, the more we voice things just about anywhere you are, you can, you know, can only hope it, it leads to some, some change or some positive change. So we'll see what uh, Holly's big win ends up doing. Absolutely. As we'll turn our view back to the United States, after having discussed some of the international racing actions, there was Good news coming from Kentucky when the historical horse racing legislature was passed in the Senate, then the House, and now locally by the governor as well. And this, of course, is something that the horse industry really pulled together for. This was uh, something that was needed. And actually, how important is this? I mean, this was crucial, I think, to just racing in the state of Kentucky, um, I think most people, if you just mentioned Kentucky, what do you think of? I mean, they probably think of uh, Kentucky basketball would be one of them if they're a UK fan like I am. Or, I mean, the big one is, is horse racing. Um, I'll be honest, that's part of the reason I chose to go to the university that I did was to be in Lexington. I think of the horse capital of the world and uh, this historical horse racing, these machines that are in the Kentucky racetracks. I mean, they are crucial. I mean, they help with the purses. And we've seen purses at tracks such as Turfway really have kind of uh, taken off uh, because of this. And you don't kind of have that sort of funding. Um, this isn't like a small thing where just, you know, just trainers or people at the track would lose their jobs potentially. Uh, this is bigger. This is everyone that they work with, whether that's specifically uh, vets or where they get their uh, their feed from, everything. Um it's not just, you know, the people at the racetrack. I mean, this would have been huge to uh, the economy, a huge uh, hit and loss if this uh, wasn't passed. Um, and I think the other part of it, too, is, you know, if this doesn't pass, what have, what would have happened to the racing and, and the, the quality? Um, you know, there have been probably incentives to race elsewhere. And if you're going to race elsewhere, that, you know, kind of draws some uh, incentives to, to breed elsewhere. Um, so it would have been the racing, the breeding industry and everything else I mentioned. So this definitely allows Kentucky to still be competitive with other states in their racing and breeding programs. Yeah, And as you mentioned, racing is synonymous with Kentucky. I mean, even anyone that doesn't know much about horse racing, the majority of Americans know about the Kentucky Derby. It's just, you know, the signature of the state seems to be horse racing, at least to us and to people that don't know much about the sport. So this is phenomenal news. And, and the reason we mentioned this is because, of course, this is a victory and this is the example of us as horse racing participants and, and you know, what all of us wanting the industry to move forward and, and be as healthy as possible, pulling together to achieve this. Whereas now, I think it was recently breaking that in Kentucky itself, there is a, a dispute between some resident farms and the jockey club in relation to their cap of 140 mares when it comes to stallions uh, that were born in 2020 or afterwards. So it's not going to really affect them up until maybe 2024, if you have three-year-olds retiring into their four-year-old year. But to me, this was kind of, we go from one side of us all pulling together to the other side of now there is some dispute internally. How do you think this is going to end or how are we moving forward from this? And I'd also would love to hear your thoughts when it comes to, in comparison, the harness industry already having a 140 merit cap. It's kind of a, an interesting thing because when you mentioned this to me, to, uh, excuse me, mentioned this to me just to discuss this, um, you know, the, the big three farms I think that came out were Spendthrift, Ashford, and Three Chimneys, and I think others may join in on this. And in some uh, aspect, I can understand that, you know, they have these stallions and want to call them private property or, or however they want to describe it, that they should be able to 
do as they please. Um, I think the words that I saw, there were pretty some strong language in the press releases. I think it was, you think this is a blatant abuse of power and it kind of, um, it, it doesn't promote uh, competition anymore. Um, you know, you kind of think of like the, the stallion business, just trying to get mares. I mean, there's a lot going on um, in, like a, in a sales role and just trying to um, get these mares covered. So it, it doesn't really uh, allow for that uh, to the same extent. I mean, there's still going to be competition, but you're, you're capped, you're limited. So it, it changes things a bit. Um, on the other side, I think the arguments that I read, why they want to make the cap, I think one of the big things is they want to uh, promote diversity in the gene pool. Um, by having, you know, all these stallions have a, a cap, you're going to get a little bit more diversity and, and hopefully that can help the, um, the breed itself, um, you know, from a sustainability standpoint. Uh, you know, it's tough for me to kind of, um, you know, make a, a stance on it either way because I'm not the one that owns these stallions. And, and um, you're looking at some really big players in the breeding game. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome is and what the solution, I think, is for this. Yeah, it would be because, and you mentioned this, it's a disruption of the free market nature. And I do believe they were also citing that the, the court case kind of hinges on the fact that the breeding and sale of um, thoroughbred horses is falls under protected property rights under the fifth amendment of the u.s constitution so basically as you mentioned private property they have the right to derive income from it and that's now being curbed and and those three uh, very significant industry players are citing no scientific basis or purpose whereas the jockey club sort of came back with a press release saying we're looking at the decades-long decline in North American fall crop and gene pool and we're trying to secure you know the diversity of the breed which also seems like a valid thing to want to do and then there was a a small bit saying conflictive conflicting business interests among jockey club stewards which of course that would be you know sort of towards the darker side whereas if you look at you know the plain two argument one commercial interest you're not you know is it legal for an entity to curb that and if the jockey club would refuse to register foals that would have been um, conceived over the market cap they would fail to um they wouldn't be fulfilling their administrative function which is their job to um register purebred thoroughbred horses so that's a really sort of intriguing legal stance and then the jockey club of course saying this is not coming into effect just yet this is going to be later this will be falls stallion fold fold in 2020 and then the harness industry came back saying we have 140 mare cap and it's for the right you know, this is good, continue your course. And as you have a little bit more interest in the harness industry, do, do you know anything about this? And is this something that has, you know, affected them? Uh, to be honest, Naomi, I've, you know, I've only heard about it, what I've seen um, here and there. And I, I haven't talked to many, you know, breeders, um, you know, on these big days, especially this past year, I haven't really seen many people in the the industry. Um, I will say just from kind of doing the research, um, these sorts of things interest me, um, kind of the, the more of the business side and the breeding side of things that you don't necessarily think of every day. But this is this is huge. I mean, this, like I said earlier, when we we're talking about the historical horse racing, I mean, it's not just the racing that would have been affected had the bill not been signed. It was also the breeding industry. I mean, that's, that's how we get these horses. Um, and the more, I, you know, I go back and forth and I read all the information. I mean, you can understand both sides of it. Um, I think we're going to probably read more information in the upcoming weeks where you're going to get more. And like I said, I don't feel like I can really make a a stance on it, but who knows, uh, as more information becomes available to us publicly, I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll understand both sides a little bit more and maybe be able to figure out what we think is best for the industry and the breeding program as a whole. Um, I think that's the big thing there. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, Spendthrift and Ashford and, and Three Chimneys, um, huge, huge players in the game, um, you know, huge uh, breeding operations that they have. But overall, you know, I, I just hope whatever the decision is, it's going to benefit the industry um, as a whole. 
Yeah, and this lawsuit will certainly keep our interest for weeks to come until it is concluded. And I do think that it's important to note that we all want the horse racing industry to move forward in the most healthy way possible. And I agree with you that you could make a case for both sides, for you know the diversity of the gene pool, but also for these large players that play significant roles in, in keeping that circle of horse racing, a, a commercial viability of, you know, buying a yearling or a foal or breeding them, racing them, and then having them go to stud and getting back on your investment, which is also crucial uh, to continue the industry. So if there is a solution that can ensure the longevity for, for all of us, I think that would be you know the perfect outcome. But of course, I don't think any of us really know what that is yet, but we will keep our eyes peeled to how this uh, will continue. And thank you for at least giving you know some of your thoughts on it as well. Let's move on to a bit more of a Corona-related issue or Corona-related, of course, uh, we've been dealing with this uh, pandemic for a very long, prolonged period of time now. In the UK, news came out that they have a three-step way of kind of allowing spectators to get back, uh, attend larger gatherings, large outdoor venues like football stadiums. And in the UK, I think the most significant date at present is the 17th of May, that uh, I think it was 10,000 spectators can attend the very largest outdoor venues again. And of course, all the racing venues are looking towards this date as well. There are still going to be capacity limits in place. Of course, we're looking at Royal Ascot in June, uh, wanting to open their doors to the public. So I was wondering and trying to find information, how much guidelines do we have in the United States? What do we know about when we're going to have uh, fans back at the track again. It seems that it it's state dependent. Yeah, it's definitely um, state by state in a lot of things. Um, just me kind of relocating from uh, Buffalo, New York down to Florida, it's, it's drastically different. Um, you know, everywhere I've gone, I see people in masks. You know, if I go to the grocery store, whether it was here or Buffalo, you see people in masks. But um, a huge problem, too, is, you know, when you're up north, the, the winters aren't that kind. Um, so things like outdoor dining really, you know, isn't a thing. And Florida, it's pretty nice here. I don't want to rub it in, Naomi, but it was 81 today and it sprinkled a little bit. So We had to cancel you know. because of the frost, remember? <laughs> right. So that's the other thing. I mean, a lot of these tracks have been, you know, losing dates because mm-hmm. the weather's been so bad. And, and that kind of limits tracks. Um, and just from my understanding, even things I've done in the last, say, 12 months, um, now here it's a lot of tracks still don't have uh, fans or at least, you know, aren't, aren't open to the general public. Maybe if you're, you know, an owner or a trainer, um, you have a license, you can be on the grounds. But, you know, when I think about right now, I know Tampa has fans um, on their grounds. Uh, this summer I spent some time at Monmouth Park and, you know, Mama's great because it's a pretty big open space. And um, I think that played a lot into it, just having that kind of open area that people can be outside. Um, I never felt uncomfortable just because there was the option to to spread out. But in places that have colder weather, not really an option when you're all indoors. Um, so that's been tough. And I know the big one that I see everywhere that people kind of you know wonder about is places um, such as Saratoga being in New York. Um, and, you know, New York's a little bit more locked down than other places because of their policies for the state. But I think there's recent um, developments about what they're going to do with more about professional sports and sporting venues. And, you know, I think decisions made based around those sorts of things are really going to impact what racetracks can do in New York. And with Saratoga, at least it's the summer, you're thinking outdoors. So um, that'd be great if they do some some sort of um, spectators on a limited basis. I know down at Gulfstream, uh, Fountain Youth Day, we will have, um, you know, spectators on the property, but there was limited sales for tickets. So we do have caps on that just so that we can keep, you know, everyone's safety and especially their health, you know, kind of in their best interest. So it's interesting. It, you know, you look at other places just with these high infection rates. And I think um, those are going to be the places that we see racing, um, at least as a, from the fan standpoint, that's going to be pretty far down the road. But at least with the continuation of the vaccination of a lot of Americans, and as you mentioned, sort of capping fans, perhaps that means that there's hope 
that when we do get to Saratoga, there's going to be more fans in attendance, or maybe even when we get to the, the Breeders' Cup at the end of the year at Del Mar, uh, we might see a larger crowd once again. Uh, the, don't mind me indulging in sort of this positive fantasy that at some point we're, we're going to get back to this wonderful experience of being at the racetrack with a crowd, everyone having fun, a drink, a bet, whatever you like to do at the racetrack. And in a way, even, you know, that at the Fountain of Youth, there's a small amount of fans at track. That's encouraging, right? It is. You know, we've been at the Preakness where there was basically no one there. Um, we were at Breeders' Cup that had um, limited attendance at Keeneland. Um, that's what makes racing so much fun. It's it's having the people there. It's the atmosphere. So to me, I know Maryland, there's no fans there. So I, I'm sure you can agree. It's it's kind of eerie sometimes to watch the races. I mean, you can hear the you can hear the jocks and you can hear the horses, but you don't have the the roar of the crowd or the excitement or you know the random guy you know who starts cheering as soon as they get on the gate next to you or you know they have a big bet on the horse. You kind of get into it because they're excited, so you're excited. That's what makes the races fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love watching the horses, but when you get a bunch of people somewhere and everyone's having a good time. Um, definitely makes it enjoyable for everyone that's there we all know the one person that starts cheering the moment <laughs> the gates open and you're looking at them going we're not there yet mate we're not there yet how about um was it jason beam that did a video of how i root now mind you for all the australians here um i am aware of what that word means we means you know like rooting on for your horse not any other um activities that people enjoy <laughs> um, uh, what is your style ashley um, I'm usually pretty quiet until the end. Uh, if my horse is kind of making a move or I think I'm in, like, in a good spot, then I might, you know, get into it a little bit. I don't say any bad words usually. Um, it's usually just, you know, you, you kind of get into it. But um, I usually roll my program, which is a bad habit. Um, but I roll my program and sometimes tap it around a little bit. I just think it depends where how I'm feeling about things. Um, and maybe how much money I got in the race. Too. Yeah, your, your vested interest. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes I do the lean. I mean, the video cracked me up because it's really true. Everyone kind of cheers differently. Um, I think the thing that cracked me up the most, uh, he's got, I think Jason was talking about the stop the race guy, like stop the race. And there's so many times <laughs> my father will say that. And I'm like, you have three quarters of a mile to go. Okay. Lots going to happen, but he's the stop the race or I'll have it if we stop the race right now. Okay, it's great, but still plenty of race left. <laughs> yeah, mile left to go. Stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit that having come to the United States and watched so many races over here as well as been around a lot of, you know, the betters and the fans here, I've taken on some of the American ways of cheering on your horse. I would never in a million years before coming to the United States and working here full-time have said wire, 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 but I'm catching myself <laughs> doing it. <laughs> so that, I guess that's my style. If I do have some interest in a horse and they're in front and someone's coming up, you will hear me say, you know, like wire, wire, oh, oh, oh. I start making weird noises, I think. So that's why uh, my producer <laughs> always tells me to mute the microphone after I'm done on air because apparently I make a lot of noise. <laughs> but yeah, and and... Just, you know, getting back to those wonderful meetings, as we discussed, would be such a pleasure. And even when you mentioned you hear the jockeys, I remember being at Belmont for the Belmont Stakes last year. And I heard Manny Franco scream when he went over the wire on Tis the Law, just like the absolute elation. And you would have never heard that before. And it echoed on the big grandstand at Belmont, which was just the most eerie, cool, but eerie experience that in a way it's, you know, something that I will remember, but on the flip side, I'd like to get the crowds back. Like, like, please get back the stampede. And I want, I want them to raise the rafters at Saratoga again and everything that's good. Even you, you were mentioning the Preakness. I have never been to a normal Preakness. Last Preakness was the first time I was able to attend mm -hmm. and it was the one without the crowd. It's crazy. It was such an incredible race. It's probably my favorite race of uh, of 2020 and to not have people there to witness it. I mean, watching it on TV, even watching the replay, I still think it's an incredible race. Uh, the stretch battle, you love seeing that when you think of these 
races in the past, you know, when you're thinking about the 70s and 80s, like an epic throwdown that stretches up what everyone wants. But, um, you know, it's it is it's sad that, um, you know, we're all kind of dealing with this this pandemic and trying to get through it. But, you know, it's taken away a lot of those uh, big moments in racing. People can't enjoy it in person. They had to, you know, watch it from TV, but should be fortunate for that too. Um, you know, during the pandemic, just to have racing going was a huge thing where other sports, their seasons got canceled or delayed. Um, you know, we at least had some sort of entertainment in March and April and May of last year where other people, you know, they didn't have sports. So it's kind of nice that, you know, racing did get the attention from groups that maybe don't usually watch racing. Absolutely. And, and all the credit goes to the racetracks, the racing teams, everyone pulling together to make sure that we can continue racing in the most safe way possible throughout this pandemic. And I think that certainly will be one of the highlights. And I think also one of the proud moments for our industry that we were able to put all of this on behind closed doors when all the other major sports had to take breaks, whereas there was racing on throughout the pandemic every single week, which was just absolutely astonishing. And as you mentioned, lucky for us also, the quality of horse racing replays means that people will be able to watch back the 2020 Preakness and see that incredible stretch battle between the authentic and Swiss skydiver. I, I agree with you that 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 was one of my favorite races. I still kind of get chills uh, talking about it because I think both of us were half on the high when we had to broadcast afterwards. Cause I remember that I was like, I don't know how to focus after this. Like all I want to do is talk about this and watch the replay. Yeah, it was, it was, um, like I said, probably my favorite, favorite race of 2020. And I think kind of looking at this year, it looks like, you know, fingers crossed, right? Everything keeps on going the way it's been going. We're going to get that, uh, more normal racing calendar, which is something that 2020 lacked just kind of changing everything. But as far as I know, you know, you're looking at the Derby and things, things are on track from where they would have been, uh, you know, before uh, the pandemic occurred, which is nice. And hopefully that just means when we look at 2022, everything will be completely back to normal. And, you know, you'll have hopefully, you know, these these big attendance events on the Triple Crown Trail. Absolutely. We'll all be two years older by then. But aside from that, it's, it's going to be great. And, and I'm so much looking forward to it. Ashley, Thank you for coming on Talk Racing to me again today. It was my pleasure to have you. And of course, good luck over the weekend as well. It's promising uh, to be a quality day of racing at Gulfstream Park. Yeah, and hopefully the weather's good. I'll try to send some uh, some of that your way in Maryland, Naomi. Oh, I need it. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Thanks. Definitely glad to have welcomed the warmer weather to the mid-Atlantic region over the last few days as well. And of course, thanks once again to Ashley Mayu for coming on the show and gracefully presenting her views. Make sure to go and follow Ashley on Twitter. That is at Ashley underscore Mayu and Mayu is M-A-I-L-L-O-U-X. So at Ashley underscore Mayu. She will be bringing you all the news from sunny Florida. Not jealous at all, of course. Go to inthemoneypodcast.com for all the latest shows. Check out their main feed on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and find the Talk Racing to Me with Naomi feed so you will be the first to hear the new show every single week. Thanks for tuning in. It was a fair bit of fun. And uh, make sure to be on the edge of your seats for next week. 